to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Bullock. People, organizations, and communities need to prepare for and respond to natural and man-made disasters in a timely manner and in the most effective way possible. Our program examines what is being done before, during, and after a disaster and those unexpected events to keep you in the know. Disasters can happen to anyone. The question is, when will it happen to you? Now, here is your host, business continuity and disaster planning expert, Alex Fulick. Welcome to another episode of Preparing for the Unexpected. I'm your host, Alex Fulick, and as always, we like to talk about things related to business continuity, disaster planning, crisis management, COVID, resilience, anything that's relatable to those topics, and anything that helps you, your organization, or your community plan for, respond to, and overcome adverse situations. If there is a topic you'd like us to talk about on the show, or you'd like to be a guest on the show, please feel free, send me an email. You can reach me through LinkedIn. That seems to be the easiest way people are finding me because I am the only Alex Fullick on there. So I'm not hard to find at all. And I do respond to everything I get. And we'll see about getting you on the show or finding someone to come on the show to talk about what you'd like us to touch on. Longtime listeners and viewers, you'll know that I was speaking at the BCI Virtual World Conference in November 2020. And I had said that I would love to get a couple of those speakers to come on the show. You may realize by now a lot of those presenters have come on the show and today is no different. I am welcoming today the presenter of Wellbeing Revolution, Working Together to Build a More Resilient Workplace, Kate Field. Kate, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here and I'm looking forward to our conversation today. Now, we've got listeners and viewers literally around the globe. So could you take a minute or two and talk about yourself and what you do and how you got into what you do? Yeah, certainly. Um, so Kate Field, um, I work for BSI, British Standards Institution, but the, the British is uh, a reflection of our history and not where we are now. We're a global organisation and I'm the global head of health, safety and wellbeing. And my role is really to develop BSI's strategy to help and support organisations around the world in prioritising their people by keeping them safe and healthy um, and enhancing their wellbeing. Well, great. I'm glad uh, you, you're on the show. Congratulations for your presentation at BCI Virtual World. I know uh, well-being, which is uh, you know, the key focus of what we're going to talk about today, is uh, quite important in, uh, in today's uh, world in general. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, and I think that's been brought on uh, because of COVID. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, there's been a greater spotlight on, on well-being. But how do you define well-being? What is it to you? So I think one of the things with well-being, I mean, you, you asked sort of what my, my history was, and I've, I've been working as a health and safety professional for, for over 20 years. And when I started, you know, well-being wasn't a term that we, we used. There was always a focus on physical and mental health within the workplace, but we didn't really understand what that meant. And I think over the, particularly the last five years, we've seen this increased focus on, on well-being and, and then trying to understand exactly what it is. And there are literally hundreds of definitions around the world about well-being. Um, and we use different phrases. So well-being is one of the most common ones, but we sometimes use wellness. Um, in Europe, they use health promotion. And the key thing is with those definitions, they all tend to focus on the same principles, that it's about 
our physical and mental health, but it's also much more than that. It's about a sense of fulfillment, um, an expectation that we have that we can be the best that we can and want to be, um, you know, and, and that's both from a, say, from a physical point of view, being healthy, but also creating um, an environment where we can flourish from a personal point of view. So this is things like career development or community engagement. So it's a really holistic term. Um, I mean, the the World Health Organization used the term um, for well-being, a state of complete physical, mental and social well-being and not merely the absence of disease and infirmity. And I think that really reflects that, you know, it's it's about the positive um, and and achieving something that is um, for the long term for us as individuals and human beings and not simply about just not getting ill. How does human resources uh, get involved with that? Because wasn't that, um, you know, from when I used to be a full-time person, you know, and now I'm self-employed, but um, a full-time person, HR seemed to have taken a lot of that stuff. Has the, it, it grown too big for HR or is HR not as involved, you know? Mm. You're leaping right into the nitty gritty, Alex. <laughs> well, you know, I, you know, as you were talking, I was thinking of you know morale, and the first thing that came to my mind was, you know, well, HR is always you know pumping you know morale and all this and that, and and I'm just trying to link that together, going how, how have we gone from that you know mm-hmm. years ago what HR used to say, you know, we mm-hmm. need morale, 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 you know, keep it up and all this and that mm-hmm. to well being now. Mm-hmm. So I think, as I as I mentioned, and and, and this is Im- important. There's a difference between occupational health and safety and well-being, um, and and how they come together. And you're absolutely right. I think as organisations have started to understand um, the need to. You talk about morale, but increased recruitment and retention, um, look at employee engagement, um, you know, create uh, create an environment that enhances productivity. This this focus on, on morale and staff engagement has started to come through and it, it has historically been led by HR, human resources. And they've started to implement what they call well-being initiatives, but they've tended to be what I call yoga and yoga. Um, it's very much a focus on on physical health um, as, you know, some sort of expectation that people want more than just a wage. Um, And the solution to that is, is giving them the tools to live a healthier life. But I think one of the challenges that we've seen is those initiatives have have only had really limited success. And the reason for that is that we need to look at this completely holistically. And one of the things that has been historically completely missed when we've been looking at this is the need to ensure that psychological health um, is managed as a priority within the workplace. You know, we have seen, you, you mentioned COVID, you know, I think there's much more awareness in terms of the, the impact of psychological health um, and the positive and negative impact that that can have in the workplace. You know, we've seen the organisations who have managed to look after their workers really effectively and give them that psychological support during COVID.
COVID-19 have been the organisations that have been more resilient, um, have been able to adapt um, and come up with innovation. Those organisations that haven't really focused on their people have struggled much more because they're not helping and supporting people coming through. And this is one of the kind of the cruxes is to understand that actually in order to look at well-being really effectively, you need to look at it really holistically. You need to think about it from an occupational health and safety point of view. So, you know, again, coming back to COVID, it's, it's a really nice example because I think people really understand it. People are worried about their physical safety because of the the virus um, and you know worried about becoming ill while they're at work being exposed to it um, but they're also worried you know and seeing the mental impact because maybe they're worried about job security or you know there's a lot of change going on because of all the new ways of working that's coming in so the organization has to manage that that occupational health and safety but then it needs to think about what this wider holistic pieces to create this sense of fulfillment Um, and this is where from a workplace point of view you start to look at things like um, what's your opportunities for career progression learning and development Um, what are the relationships like within your organization and one of um, what's at the heart of all of this is trust Um, And we say that word, uh, it seems such a simple word, but actually within an organization, it's a a real challenge to create trust. Um, And it's because it's down to the culture of the organization. So the the values and behaviors that particularly leadership um, demonstrate. And what we see with occupational health and safety in this and thinking about it in this really holistic term in terms of well-being is that organisations aren't focused on creating that trust environment. Um, you have you have leaders who say that they prioritise health and safety and psychological health and well-being, but actually their actions don't reflect that. And, and that's one of the challenges that, that organisations... Maybe they don't know what well-being is? Because you mentioned there are so many definitions. Could it be that you know, because there are so many definitions, they don't really know what well-being is. So until they know what it is, we're not going to pay attention. I think I think so. I think there's absolutely a, an element of that. We organisations have struggled to think about this in this really integrated way. It's like any bit, any part of a business. You know, even business continuity. Organisations tend to think about each of those elements separately. So you might have business or continuity, and you might have finance, and then you'll have the operational bit of the business. And then you have HR, and then you'll have health and safety. Um, but what's the what's you know what's the connecting element of all of those things it's people so until organizations really start to think about people <laughs> mm-hmm. throughout of that and prioritizing them through each of those elements you're 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 going to have limited success and i think yes there's an element that um, organizations and leaders aren't thinking like that you know they're they're still thinking about dare I say at the bottom line um, and that's where their focus is so it's about shifting that focus and, and we're starting to see that come through you know we we're seeing a, a move from um, shareholder capitalism which is very much about the bottom line to shareholder capitalism which is starting to think about 
people. And we're seeing that push through through things like um, ESG um, benchmarking, you know, more shareholders. What, what ESG ben- benchmarking? Benchmarking. So um, environmental, social and governance. So one of the things that we've seen is that as uh, as human beings, um, particularly things like the wider sustainability agenda, we want to do the right thing and we want to create an environment for organisations to do the right thing. Again, this is part of the wider trust environment. You know, organisations want to want to do the right thing. They want to reassure their own people, their own workers, but also their customers and their shareholders. And one of the ways that they can do that is showing that they are demonstrating best practice in things like governance, social obligations. So this is what we might historically have termed corporate sustainability or corporate responsibility. Um, And of course, environmental issues. So, you know, this is about trust in in its widest sense. Um, But they're all, again, they're all interrelated because you won't create that environment within an organization unless you're creating that trust for the people who are delivering those, those obligations, if you like. It, it seems to me well-being is isn't really a uh, standalone item. You know, hey, we're committing, we're going to talk about well-being. Mm-hmm. It's it, it, it includes everything within the organization, from the top, you know, executives, right mm-hmm. to the newest person who walks in the door. You know, and, and if and I'm assuming that regardless of uh, hierarchy within the organization or their role and responsibility, well-being has to apply. Uh, exactly the same to everybody, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I think you know one of the things we've seen for for COVID is as as a, a number of us do more of this work it working from our homes. Um, I think what what we've seen is a is a is an improvement in trust and a breaking down of barriers. You know, I think historically within a work context, we're not seen as human beings. We're seen as part of the corporate machine, <laughs> the, you know, one of the commodities that the organization has to deliver its, its, you know, its services, its processes to make a profit. Um, but we are all humans and, you know, we have seen, you know, our children come in, our dogs come in, you know, our, 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 our bosses, you know, amazing Com- uh, collection of um, you know um, t-shirts that they might have had from their youth um, and it's really broken down those barriers and and yes it does apply because we're all human beings and we all have this desire to be the best that we can I mean you know this is this is not something new Maslow talked about this in his hierarchy of needs back in 1954 I think it was you know that we want once our basic sort of needs are taken care of we're kept safe and we've got food on the table then we want the ability to have this self-actualization to as I've said to be the best that we can and in order to do that we need to create an environment in our life that allows us to do that and if we think about work work is the most of our life (laughs) you Mm -hmm. know we are working at you know 40, 50, 60 hours uh, a week. Um, and therefore, to create that sense of um, fulfillment and, and to create that expectation for us 
to be the best that we can, workplaces need to think about it and approach it in this way. So, you know, simply paying a wage, which is what we used to get is is just not enough you know we we want to feel that we enjoy our job there is an emotional connection we want to feel that we get on and are supported by the people around us we want to feel that actually we've got this opportunity to develop or that you know our our skills are being used for the in the best way that they can be um so it does it's it, it is this much more holistic thing and yes it's about everybody doing that and of course within within the context of of that it's ensuring i mean you mentioned that sort of a that it's it should be for everyone and and actually this sort of fairness is really important within this context and this is where it starts to then bring in sort of broader issues in terms of diversity and inclusion because if there's any um real or perceived unfairness within the workplace inequality then actually that will undermine the trust that is being created so yes you know it is about thinking about it in this widest possible terms it's interesting you mentioned uh, the the piece earlier uh, about uh, employees you know being used really to kind of uh, prop up the bottom line you know make money for for people because I've always thought that you know people aren't an asset of uh, you know an organization; they're an asset to the organization. You know they're here; they're there to help you, not for you to use them. And I guess that's part uh, right now with well-being is to to flip that, you know, to recognize that you know these are people, and you know I can't just use them as you know a, a cog in a machine so that you know a, st- a shareholder makes makes more money or I get you're paid an extra bonus. Yeah, I mean, I you know, there are very good studies that show that in- investing in your people is going to have positive um, returns, you know, and, and, and well-being is an element of that. You know, the the return on investment is, is well demonstrated now. Um, but I think one of the things that organisations sometimes struggle with is considering how to find the a balance between kind of this this personal f- sense of fulfillment and kind of this work sense of, of fulfillment um, and sometimes we we talk about um, what is termed as the um, psychological contract so this is almost uh, the unwritten expectations between a worker um, and the employer the business so a worker will have the this sense of you know what they want out of work and as I've said it's much more than just a, a, a paycheck um, and the employer will have a sense about what they want out of the worker and you're right, you know, historically, I think it's been that they, they're just seen as an asset, <laughs> a cog to do mm-hmm. to, to do X, Y and Z in terms of work um, and forget that actually, you know, uh, a cog is part of a wider system and a cog will only uh, carry on working if you maintain it and you look after it and you oil it. Um, and I think organisations have, have really struggled to, to see that. But we are... We're, start, we're starting to see a shift change um, and, and COVID has certainly helped, but we're still, I think, a long, long way up, you know, in terms of that journey. If we look at, you know, research for organisations that introduce wellbeing, they, they tend to go through a similar journey. 
So, and you mentioned sort of it often starts with HR. So, normally it's something like uh, an employee survey, engagement survey that is that is done, you know, because again, coming back to morale and engagement. So, they do an employee survey. It usually comes up pretty badly. <laughs> <laughs> unsurprisingly, because they haven't been looking after their people. So you ask them how they're feeling and they go, oh, well, you know, it's not great. <laughs> you can do better. Um, so then organizations will, as, as I say, start to introduce some basic, what what is called well-being, but is what is generally more wellness initiative. So that I, I mentioned the yoga and yoga, you know, yeah, so I they're like like yeah, that. yeah. I mean, or, or Fruity Fridays is the other one or, you know, giving everybody a Fitbit to encourage them to walk. It tends to focus very much on um, personal physical health. Um, and, you know, that has some limited success. And usually as part of that engagement survey, you might start to see some issues started to be highlighted around psychological health and, men and mental ill health and occupational stress. Um, and that might actually, or that might have what has triggered the survey is sometimes there's increased absence from things like burnout or anxiety or depression or stress, and that, that can often be a trigger. So you, you, you have these kind of often high levels of sort of psychological um, illness within the workplace created by work. Um, and you introduce these wellness initiatives. And, and what you get is that you get kind of a, an improvement in, in engagement because people like the idea of being looked after a little bit more um, but it doesn't really do anything to help with that psychological impact so then sort of there's a lot of head scratching and you mentioned well why isn't it working we've we've given everybody yoga you know and yoga mm -hmm. surely they should all be happy now why aren't they so then they start to dig a little bit deeper and you know and think oh well actually maybe we need a, a, a policy about um you know flexible working because actually people have complained that we're not you know offering flexible working enough um oh i know this is a, this is a classic ah oh, we'll give them some resilience training yes oh, not resilience yeah. in in terms of business continuity no 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 we will, we will give them resilience training to improve their mental health, to make them more resilient. Um, and again, it's a misunderstanding. It's sometimes seen as an inoculation against uh, stress or burnout rather than dealing with the underlying issues. And, and this is the, the key journey. So you get organizations, they kind of start here and they introduce a bit more, but it doesn't really make a difference. And the reason for that is because they're not thinking about these wider issues and they're not thinking about joining psychological health and safety and physical health and safety with all of these well-being initiatives um, which is why you you always get this kind of plateau and this you know well but we're doing all this great stuff why is it not making a difference um, and that's the key thing you know is is helping organizations understand that it's a really holistic approach that's needed I, I couldn't help but think it's, you know, ident you've, you're identifying these problems, but you're fixing it with band-aids. <laughs> that's, that's absolutely right. I couldn't, couldn't have said it better myself. That is exactly what happens. Um, you know, yeah, you know, we, we've, we've, we've got an issue with mental health. We'll, we'll stick a plaster on it rather than understand, you know, actually what, what's caused it in the first place. Um, and until organisations do that, um, then you're only ever going to have limited success. Mm -hmm. And on that note, we've come to the end of our first segment. 
We're talking today with Kate Field from BSI on the topic from uh, BCI Virtual World Conference, Wellbeing Revolution, Working Together to Build a More Resilient Workplace. We'll be right back. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. If you currently or aspire to serve on a board or work in a leadership capacity for or with a public or nonprofit organization, where can you turn to get the best advice and practices? How about Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl White and Dr. Andre Howard? Our program discusses challenges facing both public and nonprofit leaders. Don't miss these practical solutions and tips to enhance your leadership style and effectiveness. Leadership Matters airs live Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. Small businesses are in trouble, and it didn't just start with COVID-19. From the recession several years ago to the revolution of e-commerce giants more recently, Small businesses are getting hit hard and need to come back. Tune in to Business Buzz and Business Watch. It's two shows in one, hosted by Frank Hellring. We'll help your small business bounce back with best practices, guest experts, and resources that you can use to strengthen your small business. Listen Wednesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific and 1 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. Tune in each week for the Labenthal Report with hosts Dominic Tavella and Michael Hartzman. The Labenthal Report keeps you in tune with market conditions, investment opportunities, and outlooks based on the stories and headlines to keep you in touch with your financial success. Are you picking the right financial path? Find out by listening to the Labenthal Report live every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time and 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. Welcome back. Today we are talking with Kate Field on the topic of well-being revolution, working together to build a more resilient workplace. Kate, lots of great information you've talked about I'm wondering what's driving this well-being change, um, especially when it with regards to people, because for many years, organizations kept saying, oh, people first, people first. Mm. So I'm wondering what's changed to really bring well-being to the forefront now, you know, or, you know, was there an event or anything specific that's changed, you know, because I can't help but think, well, maybe organizations were just lip service, you know, uh, for, you know, 10 years ago, you know, 
when we're really only experiencing a, a well-being change now. Mm-hmm. So what, what's what's driving the, this change? So it's it, it's quite a, a complex picture, and I think it's just kind of a, a almost a perfect moment in time so what what we've had um go on is we've we've had from a public health point of view um, a much greater understanding of the impact that particularly poor physical but also growing mental health has on on people um, and the impact that has on the public health system so you know we've seen and we hear the reports about increasing obesity and the knock-on impacts that has in terms of diabetes or cardiovascular disease and obviously as as more people become ill they want to access and need access to public health and public health is struggling to keep up with this demand so what we've seen is sort of then governments going right well this is a real issue for us Um, you know this is creating a burden on our health services but also we're seeing that you know for some of these conditions actually it's having an impact on productivity of a nation because people aren't able to work because they're ill so we've got this governmental level response starting to come in and realize that actually it we we need to tackle these they're they're quite often called, called comorbid health issues um, to actually start to manage the burden on on public health, but also to help and support organisations in terms of keeping people in work. Um, And as part of that, we also understand that although, you know, and I obviously, you know, my profession is about occupational health and safety and well-being within the workplace, we know that although, you know, if you don't get it right, you can physically harm or mentally harm people within the workplace. Actually, you know, by and large, the best thing that you can do for people from a physical and mental point of view is enable them to work. And of course, then there's a knock on impact that that has for society. So if you are working you have a wage, which means that you have better access to education, which means that there is better outcomes for your children. You are then supporting a wider community because you've got maybe some disposable income to to go and buy things or, you know, go on holiday if you're lucky. Um, So there's much greater awareness of this web um, that is created about people. Again, it all comes back to, to people. So governments are, are driving this agenda. Um, and as part of that, they are starting to ask organisations to step up and take greater responsibility as part of this agenda. And, it, you know, I, I mentioned already that we spend most of our life working. <laughs> Um, And therefore, the workplace has to step up and take responsibility. So you've got kind of that aspect coming through. We've also got some real big generational uh, issues that is also driving this. So we've got an aging population. Um, and there's a, again real concern from a governmental point of view that we've got you know a, a large proportion of um, people who are going to retire. Um, but are still going to need support from a social point of view. So actually, if we can keep those people healthy and in work longer, then again, that is going to be better for the individuals and and society. 
at the other end, we've got generation X, Y, and Z coming through, and they have a very different expectation about work. Um, they expect work to create an environment that looks after them from a physical and mental point of view that enables them to have opportunities for career development in a way that older generations never did. You know, we, older generations were, they went to work, they got a wage and that was it. You know, there wasn't necessarily the same expectation. So you've kind of got this perfect storm. And then sort of almost a, a global layer on top of that. And I mentioned um you know, environmental, social and governance, ESG, but that's been driven by sort of corporate responsibility. And that's been driven by the global approach to the sustainable development goal, goals and the and what came before it, the UN Global Compact. You know, so actually this desire for us as human beings to be doing the right thing for people and the planet. Um, and if we look at the sustainable development goals, you know, there's one that is focused on decent work. So again, making sure that people are kept safe and healthy in the workplace. We've got one that is focused on good health and well-being, looking at these these broader social impacts. So it's and there's there was one other point I wanted to make on this. We've also got, I think, um, a much stronger drive and recognition about diversity and inclusion. Again, people and fairness. Um, so we've got, as I say, almost this perfect storm of all of these different elements that have been bubbling around and there's been pockets of them before actually starting to create a momentum for change. Um, and that was starting to happen. And then we've had, um, you know, Black Lives Matter and, and COVID-19 that have come kind of just kind of given an extra push, if you like, um, to help push organizations um, in the right direction. Is there, um, does well-being contribute to this uh, organizational resilience uh, aspect? I, I think you uh, touched on that in your presentation um, for the BCI virtual world. Can you talk about that, what that link is and you know, a, a little bit about that? Yeah, certainly. So, <clears throat> so organisational resilience. I mean, there there is a there's a definition which I'd like to use because it will help me explain it, if I may. So, um, from um, British Standard six five triple zero. So, for those of you who want the number, guidance on organisational resilience, and that actually defines organisational resilience as the ability of an organisation to anticipate, prepare for respond and adapt to incremental change and sudden disruption in order to survive and prosper. So why is that important? Well, it talks about the ability of an organisation to anticipate and prepare. So you need um, an organisation and the people within that organisation to be able to horizon scan and look at what's coming and be able to then respond and adapt to that. And again, you know, this comes back to, to people. And if we look at the elements that make up organisational resilience, you need um, people and the culture um, led by leadership to create that environment. Um, and that's making sure that people have the right competencies. Um, and this is not just the competencies to do the job, but the competencies to understand the impact that that might be having. Um, you need innovation 
um, in order to have resilience. Because one of the one of the things that's interesting about organisational resilience is that it's it's uh, it's a about a it's termed a tension quadrant. Um, and I, I have to say, I, I really like it. So you have um, this quadrant and you've got um, progressive uh, kind of in terms of thinking innovatively and, and being uh, sort of uh, able to think sort of outside the box. Then you've kind of got defensive. So that's kind of thinking about, right, how do, how do I protect what I've got and, and, and maintain almost the status quo? Um, we've got consistency in terms of approach. So there's an element of kind of overlap with these. And then you've got flexibility. And organisational resilience is a constant moving between these different dynamics. And what you see is organisations that are um, able to create that flexibility across those quadrants are able to be are, are more resilient because sometimes you need to batten down the hatches <laughs> um, and, and be quite defensive um, but sometimes you need to be really innovative um, and again we've seen that perfectly for in, COVID, in with COVID-19 you know some organizations and sectors like things like the the aerospace sector you know have been really uh, really hit in terms of the impact that COVID has had. But some of those organisations have responded really innovatively and have started manufacturing things like ventilators. Um, and you only create that ability to create this this sort of flexibility within the organisation to, to manage these different elements if you've got the right people who are enabled um, and have the right competencies and the right behaviours um, to create that resilience. So, you know, uh, it is absolutely um, the two are, are related. You know, you an organisation doesn't exist really without its people. Um, so creating an environment that is enabling those people to be the best that they can will also make them more resilient. And the organisation itself, because you'll... To, to use what uh, what you said, you know, innovative. So I'm assuming that would create um, new products, like you said, with ventilators in the aerospace industry mm-hmm. and new services. And um, I'm I'm assuming you know, uh, create a better client experience, which you know many leaders always want for you know their clients. You know, how does this relate to client uh, you know experience? Does it improve? And I, I'm assuming that all of that is going to be related, right? Yeah, absolutely. So I think you know there there are sort of different studies that that come through, but we see that, um, f- for instance, organisations that don't look after their people are the ones who aren't as resilient in the longer term because they haven't created this environment. And those organisations that are struggling, you, you tend to see um, issues in terms of um, customer complaints, um, quality mm-hmm. output issues, poor productivity. Um, you know, they might have other issues in terms of, you know, re- retaining and, and recruiting talent. Um, so you do see this knock-on negative impact when you don't get the balance right. And I 
I mentioned innovation and how important it is in resilience. You know, you need to create um, innovation. And one of the things that, you know, we have now seen, coming back to this, why is it all happening now, is we understand much more that actually to create a really innovative organization, you need a really diverse workforce um, in order to create innovation. If you've got a very homogenous group, it's, to be honest, it's never going to be innovative because it's you know it doesn't have any uh, ability to think outside the box that it's it's used to. So in order to create innovation, you need diversity and inclusion, um, and that's part of the the wider well being. So hopefully that's starting to make sense about how all mm-hmm. of these things are are interconnected, um, and and they absolutely are. Now, how does business continuity and, and uh, you know business continuity management professionals contribute to this? Okay, how, so how do they either get involved or, or uh, uh, how does the profession fit into fit into this, or how does well-being fit into BPCM? Okay, so it, it's really it's really important, and I, I touched right at the beginning that you know one of the challenges that organisations have is kind of almost all of these functions working separately, and actually you know you're 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 all dealing with people, um, so you need to come together um, and work kind of cross functionally. Uh, and I know that's not always easy, um, but that's the key thing. But if we think about business continuity, resilience professionals, you know, they're, they're risk professionals. I, as an occupational health and safety professional, am a risk professional. We deal in risk. That's what we do. Um, and risk is about solution finding. I think sometimes, you know, it's mis it's misconstrued as, you know, being very defensive and about stopping organisations. But actually, it's, again, it's a really innovative enablement tool for organisations. Um, so I think, you know, you've got that over overarching piece. But I think the other thing that is worth considering for business continuity professionals is that, you know, you're, you're looking to think about disruption and change that comes with disruption. And we know from research that actually one of the things that is most likely to unsettle people is disruption and change. We Again, perfectly seen it at the moment with COVID-19. So from business continuity professional point of view, when you're thinking about your plans, thinking about the impact that that disruption or change will have on the workforce will be really important to mitigating the impacts of of that. Um, And the more effective that you are at doing that, the the quicker you're going to have that bounce back (laughs) that, you know, uh, in terms of after managing with the disruption. So I think that's that's a key area um, to, to think about. And I think, you know, thinking about COVID-19, one of the things that I've had many discussions on is, you know, a lot of organisations didn't have pandemic response in their BCM reports. Well, actually, possibly if you'd spoken to your health and safety professional team, they might have identified it because communicable disease is a known risk. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the scale of this pandemic um, and the impact is unprecedented in modern times but we've had previous pandemics we've had SARS we've had MERS we've had pig flu you know it is out there um so I think sometimes you know there's expertise and knowledge within your organization that can can help and uh, help and support likewise the other way I would just like to sort of mention is that you know we we see that health and safety professionals sometimes particularly man struggle with understanding 
disruption and emergency planning. So, you know, your business continuity professionals can help and support with that. Um, And again, all of that then comes back to actually looking after your people. It's it's interesting. All these different uh, groups that you mentioned, you know, that tend to work in silo, they, they've got to work together because I remember the days business continuity uh, when it came to uh, putting any anything in place regarding people was we'll send people home. And that's as far as it went. You know, you know uh, we'll give them a laptop or, you know, if they needed mm-hmm. a printer or whatever, that's it. You know, that, that our, our part stops at that, that, but now it's, we have to work with other teams to take that further. They're at home. Now, what does that mean when they're home? You know, yeah. and what's that, what's the impact going to be? Because yeah. the impact isn't just, you can't sit at your little fancy cubicle with, you know, mm-hmm. you know, your stickers on their wall or whatever, you know, now you're at home with so many different things. There's a different impact. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think, you know, that awareness that, you know, that, that, um, action to the disruption will have a potential psychological impact um so you know you you've solved the maybe the immediate problem in terms of people keeping people working but yes you're absolutely right you know it, it will create additional challenges um and i think that's one of the things we sometimes see missed in business continuity is you know it's, it's focused on um sort of almost black black and white solutions um and not thinking about sort of the the gray and the human and the emotional impact that that has and one of the things we see for for bigger disruptions you know so maybe after a very um, serious incident on a site where maybe there's there's people who have, have sadly lost their lives is actually that can have you know immediate psychological but also long-term psychological impact um you know and as business continuity um you know the organization needs to ensure that they've got that immediate support but also that long-term support and you know again we're seeing that with COVID-19 you know there's a need to support individuals now while they're going through and experiencing it but we also know you know from previous pandemics that actually there'll be medium and long-term implications people will suffer with things like post-traumatic stress disorder um, and that can be months or even years so you know an organization needs to consider the the impact of disruption not in that that immediate term but actually the lasting implications yeah yeah the 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 long-term part of it not just the uh, um, not just the response and recovery Mm. you know so that you're up and running again but the long-term recovery of your people you know, mm. and the, the, the mindsets, you know, Abs- yeah. not just oh, uh, the, the physical activity, pr- productive activity side of it. Yeah, and I think that the other thing that's often under- misunderstood is that, you know, th- planning for disruption um, and going through those scenarios that practice 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 please is really important and, and one of the things that we've seen and we see this particularly in things like the emergency services where they practice these scenarios is they are then more resilient when they are actually exposed to it so mm-hmm. I think again coming back to your point about what business continuity professionals can do is making sure that when you're identifying those, those different scenarios scenarios that you are regularly practicing in full 
the scenarios and your reaction to those because if people know what to expect um, and plan for it they will be more resilient and again the long-term impact will be reduced so you know I think that's a really important um, part for for BCM professionals to consider is again because it tends to get or we we rely on desktop exercises And that that isn't that isn't enough. So the more that we can practice um, those scenarios, the actually the better that will be as well. And that's when you you start reaching it when you get to those pieces of a scenario or, or the test. You start, you know, uh, I, I'm guessing talking with HR people or health and safety people or you know finance or whatever, and say, you know, what does this mean long term for you, or what could it mean long term, and what do we have in place, right? Yeah. What could we put in place to address these? Yeah, abs- absolutely. And I, again, I think it's it's so important to be c- creating those cross-functional teams. And and actually, I'd say that you know the earlier that you bring those teams together, the better that is. It's like mm-hmm. all things, you know, they they have really important perspectives. And and if you if you can, it's much easier to 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 incorporate it at the beginning. <laughs> than to yeah. try and wedge it in at some point later um, when it's never going to be a, a, as effective. Um, so the sooner you can create those cross-functional teams and get that input, um, the better that that will be for the organization and the people. Believe it or not, we've only got two minutes left. Could you take a, you know, a final thought, a, you know, a minute, and give us a final thought on uh, well-being revolution? Yeah, thank you. So I can't believe the time's gone so quickly. <laughs> so I think, you know, the, the key thing for, for organisations is to understand that, you know, well-being is, isn't just a single thing. It's absolutely about prioritising people and considering that in a really holistic way. So yes, that incorporates uh, what we might think of, of traditional health and safety. So making sure that people go home free from injury and Ill, Ill health, but we are also creating an environment that is not harming them from a psychological point of view, that we are addressing things like bullying and harassment, but we are also creating an environment that enables individuals to flourish, that they have career development and autonomy and flexibility, that we are creating an environment that actually enhances the culture of trust within an organization you know that enhances diversity and inclusion that creates a fair um, and uh, respectful workplace and also gives opportunities for 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 uh, individuals to think about their you know maybe giving back to the wider society which we haven't really touched on so prioritize people and think about it in this really holistic way and bring your cross-functional teams together because until you do that, you will only ever have limited success. And on that note, thank you very much, Kate, for sharing your expertise and time. Uh, I really appreciate it. Thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure and uh, the time has flown past. <laughs> it does, it does. And I know, you know, we hardly even really looked at our agenda we just let things go <laughs> i told you at the beginning that's what would happen <laughs> well if we if we get questions and uh, further comments then I'm, I'm more than happy to be invited back and uh, and discuss those in more detail oh, be careful what you ask for <laughs> <laughs> but thank you very much i really appreciate it and uh, congratulations on the topic uh well-being revolution working together to build a more resilient workplace from the bci virtual world conference 
Uh, I enjoyed having you here today and chatting with you and everybody watching and listening. Stay prepared, everybody. Thank you for joining us for Preparing for the Unexpected. Please tune in for another edition featuring your host, Alex Bullock, next Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll see you here next week.